Secure Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full informed investment decision. This is your money, your wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMV. Now, here's Joe Anderson and Big Al Clopine. Happy holidays, Alan. Yes, I am really enjoying this holiday season, and uh, <laughs> all right, you know it's great family time. Welcome to the show, everyone. The show's called Your Money or Wealth. Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner with Alan Clopine. The show's called Your Money or Wealth. Go to iTunes um, if you're listening. To iTunes, thanks a lot. Uh, download the show. Subscribe if you'd like, if you like it. Yeah, we write a little uh, review if you like it. We have uh, we turn this show into a podcast, don't we? Yes, we do. And uh, it's the weekend once again. So, we'll, everyone listening uh, via live on the radio, um, happy holidays. Nice uh, to be with you. You know, the, you know, the holiday season, right? Office, you got office parties, but before that, you know, like all the vendors. They bring gifts. Yes, and we get lots of cookies. And, and so you put popcorn. them in the break room. Yes. Right? It, I don't know why this is my biggest pet peeve in life. It's not really my biggest, but it's one of them. <laughs> okay, what is it? Like how fast it goes. This crappy food goes. It's like, really? <laughs> if that was on the shelf in a grocery store, yeah, would, no one would buy it. Of course not. And then all of a sudden it's in the break room, and then everyone and their mother. <laughs> Is now crowding in the break room eating these weird, right? Oh, and no offense boy. to our uh, good friends, but that was the most unique food it was, item. It was unique. We got some jalapeno jam and some spices. And it's and uh, then a, a roll of mashed potatoes. It was, I don't know what you call that thing. It was interesting. It was like deep fried, and inside was mashed potato ground beef hash or, of some sort. Yeah, 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> they, Maybe you're they, supposed to put They your... brought it from L.A. to San Diego. Yeah, you're supposed, you're supposed, right? It's a little cold. <laughs> but you're, I guess you're supposed to put the spices on there. I'm not really sure. <laughs> put some, I had, put uh, some jalapeno jam on the but mashed even, potatoes? Even those went just like she, that. Oh, my God. Just Someone big. bit into it, thought it was coconut? Well... <laughs> Actually, Megan bit into it, and she thought it was going to be chocolate center. She was a little surprised. Oh, gosh. Anyway, interesting. Yeah, and then our office building has, like, they have this little breakfast. Did you see that? It took me 45 minutes just to get up to our floor <laughs> because the elevators are jammed. Yeah, with people With people food. eating this, you know, if, if it's free, it's for me, I guess. That <laughs> that's, was. That's the slogan, right? Oh, my I know. God. I got a very, very nice gift, giant uh, basket of cookies, individually wrapped, and I put those in Homemade? The... Or were they from... They're from some... No, someplace. Well, I... see, if it was homemade, then would... that would be different. Yeah. No, it was uh, professionally made, and uh, and I actually had one. They were pretty good, but I, I honestly, I thought... I mean, when you saw that stack of cookies, you would think, well, this will take a month, month. to get through it. <laughs> and I, I, I went back, and this was like at about noon or one where I put it out the following morning it was like there's like four cookies left wrapped up it's I there must I don't know if there's hundreds there was a lot <laughs> I don't get it I really don't get it even um, I, most... I, I won't say names but one of our our office team members who's very much a health nut even she said oh I love this time of year <laughs> Un- unbelievable. 
I mean, I look at the stuff in that break room. And I was like, who bought this? And then there was one person brought something. And it was in like a Ziploc bag. <laughs> I didn't it, see that it, one. It, and it looked, it, it looked like moldy, even. <laughs> and then I was like, what the hell is that? Now I got it. And then I swear to you, Al, yeah. it had to have been two hours later. I went in there. Filled up some water, looked, the Ziploc bag is shredded open, and this moldy concoction of like bread and something is it's, gone. It's like rabid dogs got to it. <laughs> no. it's, it's all over the it's floor. It's like, do we got to give people raises? I mean, here's <laughs> they an can't, extra. They can't afford food. They can't afford like just Apparently. crap cookies. In... So, along those lines, uh, one of our, our CPA uh, contacts got me a bottle of Chardonnay. Well, there so, you go. Good thing I didn't open that up because that would have been gone at eight in the morning. Yeah, perfect, <laughs> perfect. So we have our um, holiday. You know, it's it is a season to go to holiday parties. Yeah, it is. We got one this weekend for our company. Yeah. So I got um, here how to survive your office holiday party, Alan. Okay, what do you got? Let's pull this up for you, please, so I can know what to do and what not to do. Yes. Um, the headline here is arrive late, leave early. And do your research beforehand. Really? So I'm I'm here to help you. I'm gonna do some research for you so you Okay, so I, I So you right. don't act out like you did in years past. <laughs> <laughs> I got you know, I got working at the at working the annual office party for starters don't get drunk. So we'll compare notes here. Okay. So here's this is for all of you if you're gonna go to a you know, your holiday Christmas party. Okay. Uh, check with HR before you bring a guest. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. You got to check with HR, you know, because the party might be held at, you know, a nice venue or something like sure. that. So, yeah. But usually in the invitation, it, it'll say, it will say, hey, you know what? Bring a spouse yeah, or bring like, a guest. Yeah, like our holiday party this year is, is, is spouses included or, or significant others, however you want to say it. And then we, we, in years past, we would always have it at um, Mike Fennison's house to see you. Yes. Now. Yeah. And then, but, but we would have a smaller kind of like happy hour. Where we right. would give, you know, you know, and that a, was just kind of staff only. But, yeah, but if if a spouse came, it wouldn't be like, hey, look and, at, yeah, look, look at Clopine. <laughs> well, he brought his wife. Can he get away? <laughs> you know, He's, she's gonna have a drink. <laughs> Jeez, wow. Uh, do some research before the party. They say if there are senior executives you don't normally interact with, right? All right. So uh, or employees coming in from out of town for the party. A little poking around on your company website to brush up on names and titles is probably pretty good. So if our employees don't know us after at, at this point, who are you? There's a problem. What's your name? <laughs> Mine says uh, opportunities to interact with senior executives are generally rare, so don't blow it by slurring your words. Or worse, uh, it's important to leave a best impression possible, not to leave a lasting memory of you stumbling across the dance floor. I see nothing wrong with that. I see nothing wrong with that at all. If we, someone wants to come up with to me slurring and then starts dancing, I'd be like, "All right, we have we have low standards. <laughs> Shake it. Let's do this. All right, um, come prepared with conversation pieces. Okay. All right. So get a little note card. Uh, okay. Good. Like, does it give you any ideas? Like, what what could I what could I talk to Joe Anderson about? Well, I don't know. If if, if you're naturally shy. Yeah. Come to the party armed with a few, you know, little, conversation pieces. Yeah, little, like asking about someone's role at the company. Okay. Or what their holiday plans are. That sounds like a fun conversation. Right. Try to branch out those your close office buddies and also chat with people at the company that you don't normally interact with. 
Okay. Well, there's probably a reason people don't interact with them. So <laughs> let's get drunk and interact with people you don't like. Yeah. That makes a party. It does. Yeah, let's see. So the my, party my... could also be a great opportunity to network with your boss and, uh, boss and other senior members of the company. However, be sure to keep your conversations light. Light. No politics. Huh? Yes. It's okay. a great time uh, to tell them about a project you're working on. But it's definitely not the moment to ask for a raise or promotion. Right. Okay. So mine's pretty similar, Joe. It says, do attend. It's always a good idea to go. Uh, and commit to the evening. Uh, if it's a three-hour party, employees should aim to be there for two hours or more. Really? That's what it says. Managers and supervisors should stay for the allotted time. It doesn't say what that means. Oh, but. Stay, uh, stay for what the and of course don't get drunk. Many company holiday parties serve alcohol, uh, but drinking too much is the biggest mistake that people make. So I got something similar here. Pay attention to when you arrive and when you leave. Okay. So you don't want to be the first person at the holiday party, especially in line at the bar. <laughs> got it. Try to arrive twenty to thirty minutes after the official start time, when the party is already in full spring. Sprinting out of the office so you can get to the first uh, event might send several negative messages. Okay. Including that you aren't um, that busy at work or <laughs> that you can't wait to get to the booze. Got it. So that's, uh, that's, that's a no-no. So let me see here. Mine's, Make sure mine's, you take yeah. your leave at the appropriate hour okay. uh, before only stranglers remain. You don't want to be the last one I guess also, also yeah. drunk. First, first or last, not good. Since near nearly all holiday party scandals occur at the event in the winding to a close or after hours, <laughs> so your professional reputation will thank you for taking your leave in a timely manner. Got right? it. Now, mine says, um, just like yours, think of some talking points on what projects you're working on or what you're excited to tackle in the coming year, but keep the conversations light. But don't corner someone with a too well-rehearsed uh, pitch. So I guess, you know. Here, I'm, I'm, Hello, I'm, Mr. Clopine. Yeah, I've, I've prepared this little booklet. I would I want like you to, to tell see. you about the projects that I'm working on. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, if you want to, uh, well, be gracious during the toast. So Gracious, all right. Yes. Well, and my, commit yourself to a set period of time to talk to coworkers you don't know as well before hanging out with your crew. Yeah, see. So we uh, network for the first 30 to 45 minutes. So that's what I've got. And, Joe, when did Christmas parties and holiday parties become so complicated? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There's many articles on it, though. <laughs> so last one here. Uh, if you're a top performer at your company, you may be honored in a toast at the party. If so, acknowledge the honor. But don't drink to yourself. <laughs> it, be sure to thank the person who recognized you. Hey, you mean, I just want to recognize Alan Clopine for his hard effort throughout the, the years. And so you really, mean, hey, all right, here's hey, to me. Hey, Woo! So don't do that. <laughs> I'm going to be at the bar. So wait a minute. Everyone in the co company is toasting and drinking, and you're just supposed to sit there and go, oh, isn't that nice? <laughs> yeah, thank you, everyone. <laughs> All right, we got to take a break. Show's called Your Money or Wealth. We're in the holiday season, full swing. Don't go anywhere. Show's called Your Money or Wealth. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Welcome back. Welcome back to the program. Show's called Your Money or Wealth. Uh, my name's Joe Anderson, Joseph Anderson. I'm a certified financial planner. I'm with Alan Klopine. He's a CPA. 
Uh, go to our website if you like. I was going to ask, are you a certified advisor or a certified did, right. financial I planner? Know. I did this video. You know how many times I've said Joe Anderson, certified financial planner? Uh, uh, it's of several million. Oh, God. Yeah, I did this video and I said, Joe Anderson here, certified financial advisor. <laughs> Maybe I was a little nervous. Maybe. Maybe yeah. I was the first one at the, at the bar. That's starting to show. <laughs> There's cracks in the armor. Yeah, yes. <laughs> oh, man. Well, here, there's a lot of talk about this stock market, Alan. Dow, 20,000. Yeah, I'll tell you, huh? So it is uh, the Dow Jones Industrial. This is by Investment News. I thought this was somewhat interesting. Okay. And uh, is the Dow Jones Industrial Average closes in on 20,000. Analysts are uh, talking about, hmm, what's going to happen here? They're talking to the bull, the bull type, uh, bullish individuals on Wall Street. Okay. And they're saying, all right, well, and they're talking to their advi- the, the advisor community, and they're saying, well, what are you saying to your clients? Sure. But we have to put this into perspective, folks, okay? Because it's like all over, I mean, any type of financial media, that's all you're seeing, right? Dow 20,000? Yes. The Dow has 25 record highs this year. Did you know that, Alan? No, but it's, I know it's had a lot. And about 16 since the election. Really? Most of them after the election. Yeah, the past six days have featured six record highs in a row. Wow. This this was, I think, printed on, I don't know, maybe Thursday or Wednesday. Okay. Well, when did Alan, well, what did uh, Janet Yellen spoke on what, Uh, Wednesday? Well, they met Tuesday, Wednesday. She hiked interest rates on Wednesday. So the the Dow came down Wednesday. Down, what, 100 points? Yes. And then it was up 100 on Thursday, and then Friday was somewhat flat. So, um, but the past six days, so on and so forth, okay. But here's something that I found very interesting, Alan. Okay. The market magnet, is what some people are calling it, has even begun to pull the long, dormant mutual fund investors. So domestic stock funds have seen an estimate net flows of $35.8 billion in the past four weeks. Really? $35.8 billion. Okay. Right. According to the Investment Company Institute, that's more than any month since the Investment Company Institute started tracking this stuff. Wow. Okay. So we're so what does that tell up. you? Thirty-five. So this is the highest month flow the past four weeks. More money has gone into stock funds. Yes. Well, based- at all-time highs. Sixteen all-time highs. What, what you what you would think, of course, is that this would be a great time to buy. But history tells us money fl- tends to flow near market peaks. Now, I'm not saying we're at a market peak, but it is interesting how that tends to happen. So when we hit market lows, I'm going to say another statistic. Yes. And when when markets are low, what which should we be doing? Well, we should be buying, but we do just the opposite. Right. Be- because we'll, we'll we, have because record we, outflows. We freak out. We'll have record outflows. Because of we start stock reading the, the paper and listening to the news, and they tell us the Dow is going down to zero or something. <laughs> it's going to cut in half. I, I think now is a really good time to take a look at your overall portfolio. Me too. And look at a rebalance strategy. Right. You know, and I think there's a lot of people that set it and forget it. And then the other side of the spectrum is that people just day trade the heck out of their 401k plans. Right. There's no happy medium. I want more people for 2017 to get in that happy medium spot. And what that means is just take a look at what your risk profile is. And what that means is really starting out with your goals of what you're trying to accomplish with the money that you have and how much risk should you be taking to get the income or the cash flow that you need from the overall portfolio. Right? It's pretty simple, pretty basic. But I think people will just take a look at, all right, what's the market doing? Let's buy or sell. 
Right. And a rebound strategy works like this. Is that, all right, well, how much money do you want in stocks versus bonds? Real simple. If you want 60% of your money in stocks, 40% in bonds, let's say. Well, right now, the stock market is up. So you might have more than 60% in stocks in your overall portfolio and probably less than 40% in bonds because interest rates have hiked up. Right, bond prices have gotten crushed over the last couple of months, so now might be a good time to take a look and say, "All right, well, I'm going to sell a little bit of my stocks and buy a little bit more bonds." You want to look at this to make sure that your risk parameter of the portfolio is set to what you're trying to accomplish. Don't, I mean, I like set it and forget it more than day trading, but you still, where people fell into problems back in 2000, right, with the tech bubble, everyone was like, "Well, why would I want to buy this mutual fund when this one's up 40 percent?" And then they were heavily weighted in some asset class. And then when the market turned, they got you know hammered. So protect yourself. Now's a good time, right? End of year, right? Things are slowing down a little bit. And then you get yourself set up for 2017. And you have a little bit more confidence in what the portfolio is going to do. Because the markets are going to correct. We just don't know when, right? right. And interestingly enough, Joe, I just saw a stat. I think it was last week I read this. And these this is, don't quote me, this isn't quite... I don't have it in front of me, but it was something like that when Ronald Reagan was elected president, there was such a level of excitement. The stock market went up eight and a half, nine percent before he actually got into office. And that first year after he got into office, the market went down about 20 percent. Sure. Because there was so much well, excitement hype. and right. hype about what's going to happen. And, Nothing if, ever, right. and, of course, we know, everyone knows this. It's it's like it takes longer to change things than it doesn't happen on a dime. A hundred days. Typically. Everything's changed. Now, maybe this time will be different. I, I don't know. But uh, at any rate, there's a bit of hype in the market, which means it could be, I mean, it, it could keep going. And that's the, that's the weird thing about the stock market. It could keep going. But the prudent thing is to take some of those gains off the table by rebalancing, just like you're talking about. But Joe, that feels like the wrong thing to do right now, because why would you sell your stocks, which are doing really well, and, and buy more bonds that are actually have been hurt a little bit lately? But here's all the hype, too, when you look at all time highs, all-time highs, all-time highs. What do people think? It's like, okay, well, this is the all-time high. Right. Well, then it might, it might be time for me to get out. Well, the markets are always going to hit all-time highs. That's the purpose of it. Yeah, right? they do They do go up over time. They do They're go up over time. time. They're supposed highs. to hit all-time highs. <laughs> yep. right? And then if you think about it, all right, well, so, <clears throat> oh, and w w after Yellen spoke this week, this is the financial media for you, right? The market drops 100 points. Oh, the market gets hammered. <laughs> It's 100 points on 20,000. Yeah, and plus it probably gone up 100 points the day before. God, so it's, it's like, come on. We're, we're back I to mean, Monday's price. Let's say if the market drops 1,000 points. Right. What is that? 5%? That's about 5%, yeah. Uh, that, right, oh, 1,000-point drop. Oh, my God. It's got a hand. Well, 5%. That, that's a 20% drop. That's when the market gets hammered. Yes. Right? <laughs> and, but still, that is still normal. Right. Right? That is still normal. It typically happens every few years. So you're looking at, all right, well, that would be, what, a 5,000-point drop. Right. That's 20%. People will be freaking out. They'll be like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? You know, the right. doom and gloom and everything. No, that's just a normal cycle in the overall markets. And if you have that perspective, in the Dow Jones, too, what it's, you know, the Dow 30, it's not a very good representation 
of the entire market when there's probably You're right you know, thousands that. of company sure. names in the overall market sure. versus 30. Right? Agreed. I mean, it's it's a good generalization of the overall movement of the market, but you can't you know live and die by your, your overall investment strategy by listening, you know, to the pundits of saying you know all time highs, market at twenty thousand. Right. Uh, people just. Put things in perspective and then learn a little bit more, and then you'll have that confidence, and confidence goes such a long way. Uh, we got to take another break. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Now back to Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 AFMB. Hey, welcome back to the program. Show's called uh, Your Money, Your Wealth. My name's Joey Anderson. I'm a certified financial planner with Alan Klopine. He's a CPA. Thanks for tuning in today. Happy, happy holidays. You know, Joe, besides... Um holiday season it's uh it's the final chance to lower your tax bill for 2016 is it the final chance mm-hmm. right now right now okay in the next uh depending upon when you're listening to this show okay maybe a couple weeks maybe a week if you're listening to a podcast maybe it's too late what do you got for me <laughs> how can i lower my tax bill? i got five ways five ways to lower your tax bill now this is from nerd wallet nerd this, wallet. this came out uh on december 14th and uh, this, this is gonna be earth shattering i bet <laughs> It's stuff you've never heard, <laughs> probably of, never heard of, right? But uh, it is true, Joseph Anderson, that uh, when it comes to tax planning, about 98% of all strategies need to be accomplished by December 31st for that tax What's year. What's your source on that 98%? That's per Alan Clopine, <laughs> CPA. <laughs> I should have said somewhere's about 98% for compliance. A lot. Sources. A lot it's, of... It's a lot. <laughs> It's a high it's, number. It's a over, very high percentage. It's way over majority. <laughs> got it. Anyway, so here's some things. All right. Because, uh, in other words, we got to be acting now if we want to lower our tax bill in April. Because as a CPA, nothing is more discouraging than a client comes to see you on April 1st, and they made all this money, and they say, what can I do? And the answer is, well, we could have met several months earlier. There was all kinds of stuff you could do. So here's the first one. Earth shattering. Saving your 401k. Uh, that's going to be one of them. Make, make a donation. There you go. Make a donation. Right? Well, I think that's more important this year than other years I if do too. there's tax reform coming down. Right, because this year our highest tax bracket's 39.6. And next year, in all likelihood, the highest rate will be lower, maybe 33%, because that's what the Trump plan is and that's what the GOP plan is. And there's majorities in the House and Senate. So I would say, Joe, there's a pretty good likelihood that we may have a have a much lower, higher bracket, which means— Well, at least um, maybe by 2018. I at guess. least by 2018, sure, but it's going to count. If, let's say, for example, we get new tax law next year, and that they change the rate for 2018, then that means we have two years of higher tax rates to where our charitable donations will, will get us more— tax dollars in our pocket, right. right? Because of the higher, in other words, the higher the tax rate, the more benefit of a tax deduction. And, and what, this is only, I guess, people too, that's probably higher than the 25% tax bracket to kind of take a look at this. Yeah, that's true. I think if you're in the in the 15%, 10 or 15% bracket, which is planning the, the, the proposal is to become 12%. So there's not too much difference there. And, and I guess what, what my point was is that if you give, yes, of course, please still give, but it's not maybe bunching up. 
and I think we're, we're, you're probably headed with mm-hmm. this because we have higher tax rates. Maybe you want to give a little bit more this year. Yeah, that's the idea. And and here's here's the way. I mean, you can certainly give more to your favorite charity. There's that's no problem. But in many cases, people want to just kind of have a have a lump sum that they'll give to charity that they can dole out in the future, and that's actually available. It's there's a special account called a donor advised fund. You can set up this account. You can put your own money into it, and that money will ultimately go to charity, not necessarily this year. But here's the key. The the year that you put the money into the account is the year you get a tax deduction. So let's just say the tax rates are higher this year and perhaps next year. These would be two really good years to get some charitable deductions that then in this donor-advised fund, you can decide what charities get what amounts as you see fit. And Joe, I get the question all the time, which is, well, how much do I have to to distribute out of this fund each year? And the answer is nothing. In other words, if you want to let this season for 10 years, you can do it. Or if you want to start doling out funds to charities right away, you can do that. So anyway, uh, it's, a, it's a great way to take a deduction when, you ta- when your tax bill is higher. And that's not just because tax rates are going down. Maybe you've got bonuses this year. Maybe you've got exercise, stock options, yeah, right? Option. That ex- or maybe you got restricted stock that became unrestricted, and you got all this extra income. Now, of course, this presumes you're charitable. If you're not charitable, then we'll go on to the next one here in a second. But if you're charitable, wouldn't you rather get that tax deduction when uh, the, the, you're going to save more uh, towards that tax deduction against taxes? And I will say one more quick thing, Joe, and that is you're also allowed to give appreciated stock to these donor advice funds, which is actually the best way to go. For example, you have a, a stock worth a thousand bucks that you paid a hundred dollars for. Mm-hmm. You give that to, to the Stoner Advice Fund, you get a thousand dollar deduction, and that nine hundred dollar gain, you never pay tax on that capital gain. So right, it's, we, a, it's a double missed, benefit. Right, that's missed all the time where someone will just give cash. Right? Double benefit. In fact, even if you give directly to your church or charity, they will take uh, appreciated stock as well because when they get the stock, they can sell it, and since they're nonprofit, they don't pay any taxes. So, so yeah, <laughs> if you're usually giving cash, and if you do have stock outside of your portfolio. <clears throat> or outside of any type of retirement account, in a brokerage account, and if you do have gains, that's where you want to look at. But then people, well, I want the stock. Well, then buy the stock back with the cash that you're going to give to the charity. Yeah, exactly. Right, so you bought it for a dollar a share. It's worth $9 a share. So you give that stock to the charity. They sell it. They don't pay any tax. Then you buy that stock back at $9 a share. Right, your portfolio still looks the same. Right, you just kind of redistribute your wealth in a more tax efficient manner. And now later, when you sell that stock, there's not near as much gain. Exactly, right. That's the idea. And Joe, this one may seem kind of obvious, but it does get missed, and I'm going to bring it up. Which is, if you bought a stock for a thousand dollars and it's worth a hundred. Well, don't give that stock because if you sold that one, that would be a loss. It would be a $900 loss that you can use on your tax return against other capital gains. So in other words, appreciated stock, yes, put that into a donor advised fund or give that directly to your your charity. If it's a loss position and you want to sell it, well, go ahead and sell it and show that loss on your tax return and then donate the, the proceeds. And then you can also take a look at like, well, this is getting a little bit in the weeds, but you know, lots like what lot of stock that you because most people dollar cost average in you're right about that and so it's not like all right well here I well some some of you do let's say you get an inheritance of hundred thousand dollars and then you buy a stock with that hundred thousand or a mutual sure. fund or whatever but then there's some of you that let's say save 
$1,000 a month into that brokerage account. Yeah. Well, each time you purchase that stock or stock mutual fund or whatever investment, it has different cost bases because the market's not stagnant, right? So it moves. So then when you look at, all right, well, I want to give the one with the lowest cost bases to the charity. Right. Because then that's going to give you the biggest bang. Boy, that's a, that's a great point, Joe. And and the, hey, a lot thank of the, you. yeah, you're really thinking well, about this. This. Is, this is the holiday season. <laughs> you're just you're giving, so nice. and giving and giving. <laughs> so yes, I agreed. So here's the next one, also earth shattering, um, not earth shattering, I should say, but very important. Offset your capital gains with losses. And I think a lot of our listeners know this, Joe. They in December they look at their brokerage statement and they got twenty thousand dollars of capital gains. And then they look at their statement and go, Okay, I've got some other positions that are in a loss position. Let me see what I need to sell. I can sell, I can create twenty thousand dollars of losses and those two net together and I pay no taxes on those prior gains. And that does work and people should be looking at that. But here's what's the strategy that's missed is you ought to be looking at this year round. Right. Because the stock market is not always low in December. In uh, fact, and, right now it's pretty high. Right. Do you remember the first week of this year? Right. It was the worst January in the history of the stock market. Right. Or it was in the worst January. It was the first week or first it couple was of the, weeks. It was the worst first week in right. the history of the market. Is right. And so, yeah, there was probably some losses. That would have been a good time to tax last harvest. Exactly. And when you tax last harvest, here's how you do it properly. Is you sell the position that's down to create that loss, and then you buy something that's very similar so you're still in the market. Because the market may come zooming right back, as it did in January. And by February, a lot of those losses were gone. So you don't just want to sell and then and then kind of go into cash. You want to buy something similar so you still have the integrity of your portfolio. Right. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the program. Show's called uh, Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner with Big Al Quilpine. He's a CPA. Thanks for tuning in. Happy holidays, everyone. It's that time of year again. It just seems like yesterday that it was January. Right. And, and it seems like yesterday that we were doing a holiday show. And it. it it, it it does. It seems like it seems like yesterday that we were doing this two years ago. Um, so time flies, and and uh, it it seems to go faster, Joseph Anderson, as you get older. Oh yeah, right. Yes. Your memories are kind of shot. <laughs> hey, a few things. A couple of different uh, mistakes happened um, this week that we've talked about on the show in the past, and I want to bring it up again because it it's important to realize how things are titled uh, when it comes to your assets. And especially your retirement assets, right? And so oh, let's say you have a retirement account, 401k plan, IRA, 403b, a defined contribution plan that you've been contributing to. A lot of you have named your living trust as the beneficiary of that retirement account. So let's say you're married, you got a couple of kids, and you're like, hey, you know what? We got a couple of kids, I'm married, I got a house, I got some assets. Maybe it's time for me to do some estate planning. Right. Right. So you go talk to your friendly attorney. The attorney drafts a nice living trust for you. And you title everything into the name of the trust. You follow the directions to a T. And then you're like, hey, we have these retirement accounts. Well, the attorney said we need to title everything in the name of the trust. So you title the beneficiary of the asset to the name of the trust. Got it. So there's pros and cons to this. And still, there's so much misinformation on what people should do. All right. And I would say about the majority of you that are listening, that are married, should not name your trust the beneficiary of your retirement account unless 
it's a second marriage, and you want to preserve that assets if you had kids from a previous marriage. Right. That that does make sense. Okay. Yes. Second of all, if you are not married and you have children, and those children um, might not be able to handle the type of wealth that is inside your retirement account, a trust as the beneficiary might be a good idea. Sure. Uh, but in all other, I mean, there's probably a lot of other cases, but you know, in generalities, I think in most cases, if you trust your spouse, right, and if you've had one spouse, then don't name the trust the beneficiary. Name your spouse the beneficiary, then name your children the, the contingent beneficiaries, and then after all of that, then you can name your living trust. Here's what happens. So let's say I'm married, and I have my nice retirement account, and I name the trust the beneficiary of my retirement account. Okay, Pri- primary beneficiary. Primary beneficiary. Okay. Now, the, the, the problem here is there's many. For the trust to actually perform how you want it to perform, there's four or five things that actually have to happen, all right? And for, for the trust to be, quote-unquote, called a designated beneficiary. Okay. All right? And so if all of these things work out and then it, it, it does everything you want it to do, where the trust now is your designated beneficiary, there's still problems. So let me explain. So I'm married. I, I'm not married, but let's say I was married. Yes. Right? And then so I named my, my beautiful bride. My, my I'm best. just trying to imagine this now. <laughs> yeah, please do. Ah, I do every night. It's nice. <laughs> so um, anyway, I digress. Yes. So I named the trust the beneficiary. Okay. All right. Instead of your beautiful wife. Instead of my beautiful bride. And so I die. Right? Okay. Then the trust needs to have four things to happen for this to perform is that it needs to be a look-through, see-through trust, okay? okay? So what that means is this, is that the trust will look through, right? Because a trust is an entity, it's not a human being. A trust doesn't have life expectancy. Okay. So it'll look through, see-through, and then we'll see, oh, all right, well, there's a human being in that trust as a beneficiary. So then that would allow the tax to stretch over that beneficiary's life expectancy. Okay. okay? Also, the trust needs to become irrevocable at the date of my death. Okay. Right? It has to be a legal... You know, document the date that I issued it. Sure. All beneficiaries have to be identifiable. What that means, all beneficiaries of my trust have to be human. So I can't have I can't any part of that as a tr- uh, as a charity or a dog or cat. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Your <laughs> my dog. Pet mouse. Yeah. Exactly. My pet mouse. Feet are, feet, my my pet goldfish. <laughs> sure. Well, they, I mean, what I mean, it can't be. The church or University of Florida or the United Way or Wounded Warriors. It has to be an individual. Okay. All right? So, and then here's the last one, is that the trust document needs to be delivered to the custodian. So, let's say my assets are at Fidelity. So, the trust document, need, there's a delivery requirement of the trust. So, the custodian needs to have a copy of the trust. So, let me repeat. It has to be a look-through, see-through trust. All the beneficiaries have to be human, identifiable, right, with life expectancy. Okay. The trust needs to become irrevocable at the date of my death, right? Yes. And then there's this delivery requirement. And, okay. of course, it has to be a legal document in the state that it was issued. If all of those things happen, which rarely do, then what? Then the, then the trust is now a, a, what is called a designated beneficiary. Here's the problem with that, is that now the spouse, let's say I'm, I'm 40 years old, my wife's 20. Okay. Right. And so now she would have to take a required distribution from that account. If she was just named, and maybe she doesn't need the money, 
You know what I mean? Sure. So now she's draining money out of that retirement account unnecessarily. Yeah, taxed at ordinary income. Taxed rates. at ordinary yes, income. Right. Right. So if I just named my spouse as the beneficiary, right, she could keep it in my name and take a required distribution if she wanted to. So she she has more options. She has, or yeah. she could roll it into her own, right, and avoid any type of income coming out of it and being taxed on it, and let it grow tax deferred until her retirement date. So that's if she's younger. So you're gonna, you're going to marry a young gal. Maybe we're we're talking we're talking about you now. So, oh yes, sure, okay, whatever. <laughs> So, right? Does that make sense? So, it does. What, what happened is that, all right, well, the uh, individual hypothetically, right, comes into the office, and we've seen this many, many times, is that, all right, well, the husband named the trust the beneficiary or the, the trust the beneficiary of the retirement account. Right. She, you know, she's 60 years old. It was a fairly large IRA. She has good income. And then so she's like, yeah, I have to take this required distribution. Well, I don't need the money. Right. So there is a way basically to do a spousal rollover, and that's taking it from the overall trust. And then moving it into her own account, right? Versus the trust, right? Yes. Right. But then it's a private letter ruling, which well, would cost her about twenty five thousand bucks to do it because it's not a slam dunk. So exactly. You, you need to have IRS approval on that. So please name your spouse the beneficiary of the retirement account, and then name the children. Usually, you know, all right. Well, now if if one spouse already passes, or if it's going to the kids or the grandkids. Then we can talk about, all right, well, now it might make sense to set up the trust. And then you have to get into a little bit more legalese. Is it like a, a conduit trust, you know, an accumulation trust? And right. what's the pros and cons of that? Sure. So it gets fairly complicated. I wish it was simpler, but it's <laughs> yeah, not. And people just kind of think, all right, well, here, I do have a living trust. They should name it as the beneficiary of my retirement account. But in most cases, what we see, it's what's going to happen is the exact opposite of what they intended to do because they don't understand the tax law when it comes to retirement accounts. Yes. A retirement account is completely different than, let's say, your your brokerage account, right? Or your checking or savings account or your home or apartment buildings or whatever that you own or any other asset. A retirement account has to have a required distribution from it. So just be careful of how you're naming your beneficiaries, right? So now the death of the stretch IRA could happen as early as next year. It could. So what that means is that now the non-spouse beneficiaries might not be able to stretch it out over their lifetime. So to do the appropriate planning is even more key because it could happen in the matter of months, right? So if you do have an IRA, that you maybe don't necessarily need, that you want to pass it off to the next generation, I highly encourage you to have someone take a look at this to figure out exactly what the implications are going to be if that non-spouse beneficiary can't stretch it out. If you want to name the trust as the beneficiary of your retirement account, please talk to a qualified professional so you truly understand, hey, am I passing all these tests here for that individual retirement account to go through it because attorneys, they might not even think to ask, well, here, don't name the, because in most cases, good attorneys will draft maybe a separate trust Correct. or they'll have different language in that trust knowing that, hey, you have a large IRA. 